Hey, everybody. I've got a little uh, special episode here for you. I uh, got my old friend Charles Lowell, you might remember from the drunkenretired.com podcast days, to uh, come and tell me about his experience and his team's experience being developers who use Kubernetes and what he would want to tell people if uh, they were going to do it. And, you know, just as a reminder, if you want to uh, join the Slack channel that we have, uh, check out newsletters you can subscribe to, all sorts of other stuff. Just remember, you can always go to softwaredefinedtalk.com and uh, find all of that stuff there. Also, just a little plug for myself, I finally came out with another one of those tiny uh, O'Reilly books. If you go to cote.io slash books, you can get a, a link. Just, uh, you know, you can use your friend Johnny Legion or, you know, maybe more generally put your own information in there to uh, download the book. Probably better to put your own information. I'll get more, uh, you know, credit uh, at school if you do that. Enjoy the episode. Well, hello, Charles. What's up, Cote? I have, I have here, I've been waiting uh, for a while to have this conversation with you. And that is, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to lay out a question and then talk for a while as, as I like to do so that we can set the context <laughs> here. Okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> and here I have, I have been reading up on, on Kubernetes, you know, over uh, the, uh, uh, where I work, Kubernetes now. I think it's technically pronounced Kubernetes. Kubernetes, the cubes, as I think you yeah. would say. That's that's what I call it. I call it the cubes. The cubes. Kubernetes kind of sounds like a breakfast cereal. Kubernetes. Well, you know, being mm -hmm. Americans, never know how to pronounce anything. It's okay. But no, I, it's it's actually I, I, that's false. Kubernetes. <laughs> that's describing the tone of this call, my brother. <laughs> uh, anyways, so you know, uh, in recent years, it has become quite popular, Charles. I'm sure you've mm -hmm. noticed this. Yeah. And now, now there are two things I am curious about. Oops. The main one is so, you know, you you and your outfit over there, the front side, you develop software. You write software. You get hired mm -hmm. by people to work it out. Sometimes you work on new software. You work on old software. Sometimes you have a project and you're like, I'm not going to work on this software. It's madness, right? So, mm -hmm. and you're into all the, the stuff the kids do. You're, you're up to yep. date. And, yep. uh, you know, so I, I always wonder, like, if, if one were a developer, right, and they're going to be deploying their 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 code, that's what you still write code, right? You know, your yep, applications yep. onto Kubernetes, right? Like my current mm -hmm. wondering is like, you know, and, and I haven't gotten to the part where you talk yet. So just mm -hmm. yeah. is like, you know, mm -hmm. so what, how do you design and write your applications? And then in addition to that, like, what are things that you need to start doing that are new? So historically, an example would be if I am going to run my, my, my application on a Java application server, that has uh -huh. a tremendous amount of implications about how I design and write my code, right? right? Like, and it's right. all because I am running in an app server, right? Like, right. never even mind doing a bunch of Java enterprise stuff. There's just like the way you write your application is going to be different. So I assume if, right. you're, if you're running on Kubernetes, there are similar things like that, right? Yes. And then, and then the, the, and then this is highly related, but the other side, and a lot of what I was hoping to do with you and other people is verify a lot of these crazy visions that I have in my head, right? right. Mm -hmm. So the other side is I think there are a bunch of new things that if you're writing your application run on Kubernetes, you have to do, for example, mm -hmm. right? It's, it, so this is not only, not only talking about the design and architecture of your application, but for example, you know, one of, one of the great things that, that, that the kids tell me Kubernetes mm -hmm. does is it can auto-remediate uh, bad stuff which you yeah. know, is always magic, but there is, there yeah. is, uh -huh. you know, if you walk back the claims, what it essentially means is that uh, your application stuff running in a container, I'm even getting ahead of the thing here, but you know, stuff, mm -hmm. this is an example, stuff running in a container, uh, or maybe it's a pod, like people go between these two, but you have a, you have, there is a method that can be called that will say, am I healthy or not? Right. Right. And so, and, and so if the answer is I am not healthy, I don't think any. I don't think nowadays we say "shot in the head" anymore. That's a little too vicious. But basically, mm -hmm. I know what the Kubernetes people say: you destroy it. So you destroy mm -hmm. that thing, and then you bring up a new thing. Now, right? If you are a developer, that means you need to write that little health check. Whereas previously, right. you made so. That's my whole like landscape. Is like, I I I've recently come across a few things, but in general, like I don't come across things that's like, all right, you're going to uh, write something to run on Kubernetes. Here's what you need to do. So Charles, in your right. experience, what do you need to do from like 
designing the application to implementing these like specific little things? Man, that's a beefy question, Kote. Um, you don't uh, you don't go small when it comes to the questions. was a lot. Okay, well, you, so you know, probably can... you can hear in the background my my computer has spun up its fan because it's handling the beefiness of, of this this, <laughs> time, this conversation. <laughs> uh, beef computational capacity is nearing maximal input. Um, okay, so the first thing you're going to need to learn is okay, man. There's there's a lot. Okay, so let me preface everything that I'm about to say with that I am not a Kubernetes expert. I, what I'm an expert in is being someone who has direct experience struggling trying to make a application architecture work with Kubernetes. Mm -hmm. And I say struggle in the things like I've been in the trenches, not that it's necessarily harder than anything else. Um, although I think that in some ways it is, but in some things it's really cool. So we can break down what those cool and hard things are. Um, I would say the, the first thing is don't even try to uh, run your own Kubernetes cluster because there's like several levels that it operates on, right? And this is going to affect how your, I want to say your application architecture, but just like the amount of time that you're going to spend like in your development time. So there's like, there's two aspects of it, right? There's like running the Kubernetes cluster and then there's running the applications on the Kubernetes cluster. And so we initially started trying to run our own Kubernetes cluster and they were like, what the fuck are we even doing here? This is like, we should be using one of these other, like use Google cloud. We, that's what we ended up doing um, was using one of these things. So you don't have to worry about that. Right. Cause like it's designed to make your life easier. So you want to be using the features that make your life easier. Right. 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 right? So you want to use it for application development not for infrastructure development. You can, if that's what you know your game is. If that's what your application um, is. Right. Um, so, so, you know, but the other thing that you have to, what it really is good at, and I think where you want to optimize it for is if you are using microservices, it's gonna help you a lot because you're really what Kubernetes if I recall, well, if I were to say recall, like I said, my, my knowledge is a little bit dated since because it's been about a year since we've used it. But um, where it really helps you out is when you have little groups of applications that are talking to each other. Yeah, and, and this 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 is good. This is like a fundamental, like you read all the all right. the great Kubernetes stuff, and it starts off with with like uh, you know businesses have to be digital and software is eating the world, and then you know second paragraph is like microservices. Mm -hmm. boom yeah so if you and, don't have microservices you got one service like you're, it's not a good fit right you, you you don't uh you don't really want to do it that way um because if you think about like a little um kubernetes i guess pod was the word but it's these little groups of services yeah. that can talk to each other but they really are running in a little box and like you have to explicitly poke holes into that box to like bring in traffic from the outside yes. world. Yes, you got, really you got the you got the ingress, and then you got right. your, you got you're setting up your uh, you got uh. your you got your uh, you got your service that's a IP something a cluster yeah, cluster right. IP. Yeah, right, right. So you know all that, right? Like, um, but if you so so you it's very makes a lot of sense if you're going to be like at the low level of having these services and you're going to be routing HTTP traffic to it and you're going to be routing SSL traffic to it and, and things like that. Um, and the other thing that you're going to have to really learn is you're going to have to learn how containers work because it really is very Docker native. Like I remember thinking when we first started using it, how am I going to write that little health check you were talking about? Am I going to write it in Ruby? Am I going to write it in Python? Where do I actually plug this into my system? Right? And the answer is, I can write it in Ruby, I can write it in Python, I can write it in JavaScript, I can write it in Closure, I can write it in C++, 
as long as I put it in a container and mm -hmm. say, okay, this image contains the health check. Yeah. And so from Kubernetes perspective, it doesn't care. It's just like, hey, what's the image that I need to run and load to do the health check? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And it just delegates. So it does all of this stuff by delegation. Um, and so you actually don't end up writing any code. What you do is you write a, end up writing these manifests that tells Kubernetes where the code is. But the fundamental right. abstraction is the container. So as long as you package your code inside of a container, it, um, you know, Kubernetes can work with it. And that's kind of a big mental leap for me. Yeah. Uh, was saying, oh, okay, so it's not really a framework like other orchestration frameworks where it's written in a language. Like I actually have no, it's ex I have no idea what Kubernetes is even written in. Uh, I think it's probably Go, seeing as it came out of Google. But that it doesn't enter into the equation at all. Not once. Right, not right. And, and so, so as a developer, your experience of Kubernetes is basically YAML files and the and the the kube cuddle yeah. command, right? It's essentially the uh, the uh, I, I've I've been reading this uh, this this book. What is it cloud native infrastructure? And uh -huh. and I should send this to you because it's basically I've discovered it's basically like how to program for operations people, and right. it's, so in that way it's fascinating to read through it. Like I had to go back and reread. They define they talk about like what an API is, mm -hmm. and so first they define out that you know Kubernetes is this thing that really likes declarative things, right? Instead of mm -hmm. like instead of what's the opposite of declarative. Imperative, imperative instead of imperative. or or as we used to say procedural right like procedural. instead of it being a procedural thing where you're like install put this container on these two boxes on these two vms right like mm -hmm. instead in a declarative thing you open up some yaml file and you're like i would like to make a pod and that pod should contain these two containers and that That's pod right. will rest in this uh namespace and it'll be in this cluster and I would like there to always be three of them running, right, right. in a replica set. And I would like them to uh, have, be able to talk to each other over an IP address. And then there's going to be here's a way they can talk externally to things. So, right. Mm -hmm. So what I realize, and and they kind of in this book they go over like the the things you would call like you know, uh, I forget what it's called. Like do the configuration. And and, right. and this is a very long shaggy dog story here. But I had to read this twice because they kept talking about API stuff. And then I realized what they meant by API was like a hashtag that you pass into a method, <laughs> right? And so, so they, they, in this book, like, and I kind of got it after a while, like, but, but they really, what they meant by API is like a, a spec, right? Like here, here's a data structure that describes mm -hmm. like what you want, what you want your Kubernetes cluster to look like. And that is an mm -hmm. API, right? And it, and it was like, I was thinking like, I guess like, in a declarative world that is sort of what the API is like, like it's like passing a document on this kind of almost kind of like in, in old school rest where like you never really tell it to do anything. You just give it the new state that you want. Right. And right. I don't yeah. know. It, it, my, that, my whole point of that is I see what you're saying in that you're never really sure what is doing anything, <laughs> which, right. which, right. Which is like one of the things I find maddening about Kubernetes on, on the one or Kubernetes. One of the things that I think is Kubernetes is that like, um, by the way, thanks for being on this podcast where I can ask you questions. Uh, yeah. And, and, no. and then I just talk. That was a joke about myself. But, <laughs> but, but just one of the things I find maddening about it is they're always talking about the beauty of it and how simple it is. Oh, and then, and then they're just like, you call this method. And I'm thinking like, I call this method and I put this, and I don't even call this method. I send this thing in, but eventually like some code has to execute has that to connects to a Cisco router and like changes stuff. And that yes. code is not elegant, <laughs> right? Like, like, yeah, no, it, it, it well, it, and, and, um, no, it isn't, but it's got, it's like normal frameworks, right? Like where the definite, some people define a framework as, uh, you know, in a normal program, or the difference between a library and a framework is your code, your application code calls the library code. Mm. Whereas in a framework, the framework calls your application code. So 
it almost treats your code as the library and you're uploading this library to the framework and the framework is like, oh, when yes. I'm supposed to do this, I delegate here. When I'm supposed to do this, I delegate there. And so the mental leap that I made um, that took me a while was to say, oh, the way that Kubernetes does that, it is like a normal programming framework, except you extend it by providing your own containers. Right, so like you, it'll it'll delegate to your containers to do stuff. So if you need to extend what's happening, but it but it controls the very strictly the life cycle of when that stuff happens. Right, 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 right. Exactly. So it's that, like that's, it's not going to call your code. You have no control over when the code gets called, except it detects some situation. And I think this is a great example of like doing a health check. Uh, uh, you know, and. So it'll maybe it'll delegate out to your container and you can give it the health check and then it gets the result and then it does everything else. Right. Um, but you've only provided the little, you provided the, the data point. Um, but thinking of your programming with containers, essentially. Um, and, and I mean, because normally we're used to, we have our application code, right? We're used to that running in containers, right? Yeah. Ultimately, we want our little app to be running in a container that's configured to talk to Postgres, which is a container, but like it's the the actual orchestration of your infrastructure is also code that's living in containers. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And so, um, but so, so, but it can get really, it can get really complex and hard to understand with like the ingresses and like the SSL ports. And honestly, the, Unless you're doing this at scale and you need like custom deployments, oh, you know, it's 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 you want to program your Kubernetes so that most people don't have to think about it, mm. right? You they, you want it to be so that I can I can program my little microservice yeah. and not think about where it's going to live or where it's going to go because honestly, I don't care about routing. <laughs> And load balancers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I mean, I do one percent of the time. I think, or I think maybe, maybe like a tenth of a percent of a time. Let let me let me let me throw out a hyperbolic theoretic catch-all statement. Developers right. don't care about networking. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's 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 fair, right? Unless you're you've got your networking hat on, which is very rare. Um, like you do need to be intentional and you need to organize your your service architecture. But the goal of that, uh, the goal of designing it well is so that you don't have to think about it. Right? If you, for your organization, have built your cluster in such a way that your application developers have to think about SSL certificates you done fucked up somewhere. <laughs> like you, you didn't do it right. Um, and so if that isn't your outcome, then, you know, you're much better off going with some, you know, something uh, completely different. Because um, you do have to worry about that stuff. You do have to worry from, if you're going to expose an API, you have to worry about when someone connects so that API, where is that request going? Yeah, yeah. You know, how is it entering your system? What kind of, you know, authentication is it going to to do? Um, how is it then going to distribute it to, you know, a different microservice? You need to actually be, you need to have that in mind. And, you know, for the application that we were developing, it was very much, you know, there were all of those pieces. Like we had a framework that was a microservice framework, and we were asked to run this framework on our own the deployment uh, and so we had hundreds of these services and we had to register them and do all this other stuff and uh, and mess around with them and it turned out that kubernetes was actually a great fit no, uh, it's because it was a bunch of tiny things working tiny together. hundreds of tiny things right uh and we had to be thinking about that anyway um so i don't know what exactly my point was with that but well it, like like Use Kubernetes to never use Kubernetes. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it seems like if, well, 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 what's the alternative? The alternative is, so, like, the alternative, well, let me say, like I said, you should use it to not use it. Right? So, like, the, right. the goal is 
okay, I want to add some functionality. And so I'm going to get like a cross-functional team that's got a designer and a front-end person and a back-end person. These three people are going to add a piece of functionality um, and they're going to be independent of the rest of this organization. Uh, but they're going to be able to make some change that might be on the, the organization's website or to their application suite. Um, the alternative, like, do they need to know about the topology of your, how much do they need to know about the topology of your deployment? Uh, the structure of a pod. Mm -hmm. How much do they need to know about the failover characteristics? And how many processes are going to be running in parallel? And when one of them crashes, do you, you know, everything gets restarted or the last one gets restarted? Like, how do you... Uh, how much visibility do they need into that? Yeah, yeah. No, that that's an interesting like like point of like all these uh, all these operational concerns that mm -hmm. that you can you can uh, mess with, take advantage of that that Kubernetes will take care of you. I guess arguably, there's plenty of developers who like you don't want them messing. You don't want them is is a weird way of putting it, but like they don't want to mess with that they stuff. They don't want them. You don't want them. You don't want them spending their brain cycles on it. Yeah, yeah. I would almost say like a good thing is if you're not they you should you should be wrapping uh kubectl or kubectl as I've heard now on this podcast for the first time. I wish in retrospect that that was not a tool that we actually handed to developers. Mm. I think we should have made our own command line to orchestrate deployments. And so why, why is that? Like what did people do with the, as you say, kubectl? It's just too open-ended. Open yeah. And, and right. does, does that, does that mean it's like overwhelming or that it causes problems? It's overwhelming. Um, it's, there's just a, there's a lot that's going on. Uh, there's a lot of different entity types um, that you probably don't need to know about. Like, I want to say, I want to put this application in the cloud and it needs to, you know, needs to talk to these things and then routing that to where it goes mm. uh, is, is, you know, that's, that's where you want to be. Um, so I think that there's a, you know, you have to be developing a, in, in order to really get the most out of Kubernetes, I think that you really need to be developing um, you should be developing uh, a platform for, uh, you know, a larger sized organization. Mm. Where, where essentially, I mean, they, they tell me if this is wrong, but I think for, for well, for a large organization, but any organization, it seems like <laughs> one of the primary benefits you would get from Kubernetes is that it is one way of doing things, which which is a little contradictory from what you're saying, but it's sort of like, in, instead of you could put things in VMs, you could deploy them in these containers and configure yeah. them to be this way, or you could do this, or you could do that. Right. Whereas, like, if you standardize on running things on Kubernetes, not never mind if you wrap the command line or whatever, but like, there's basically one model for packaging things up, for mm -hmm. like releasing them, and one model for doing network configuration. Now, there's all sorts of little, you can always mess things up things are configurable right. but and then and then there's also sort of one life cycle for your application right like i don't really know what this is yet but i think i think an application inside kubernetes has a pretty definitive life cycle right like like basically right. you know it's like deploy <laughs> right mm -hmm. and and part of the deploy life cycle is also like uh you know spin down the old version right so there there's right. upgrade upgrade slash deploy and then there's basically like, you know, running, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And right. and mm -hmm. part of running can also be like scaling if, if you need to. Mm -hmm. And then another mm -hmm. part of the life cycle is like things are screwed up, fix it, right? And then right. Uh, that's sort of it, right? I, I mean, it's kind of a simple life cycle, but there's these kind of like hooks that you have to uh, right. get into. And those so, hooks are completely extensible, right? So it's a... It, it it is it's a it's a framework and and so so there's like you have that as an organization you can establish that one life cycle that applications go through right and you can really like instead of having like 50 different ways of packaging up and deploying and running applications you could have just like one you could be like everything run everything we write runs on this you package it this way 
you like describe how you want everything done this way and that's it. There's not like all these different tools to do it. And and so right. like that seems like an advantage. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and I I guess I guess you know part of what you're saying is like but you also need to have some layer on top of it so that like all the right. developers don't have to care about networking. <laughs> <laughs> basically right. exactly so that they don't have to worry about networking and routing and and all the all the infrastructure right i mean you would you want to use it where you that's that is important you know and and it's not the only use case but scale is certainly the most important use case that i can think of hmm. um so if i've got hundreds of services and i need custom characteristics for how each one runs or, or, or uniform characteristics for, we talked about health and uh, failure and, you know, I don't know, like partial, like, you know, load balancing so that you're uh, diverting different cohorts of users to different traffic. Like you really, yeah. the scale of what you're trying to accomplish is requires that type of fine grain control. And so you have, you want a lot of finesse, but you want a standard way to do it. Uh, then, then it really does make a, a lot of sense. Whereas, I would say, if you've got just you know one application, a couple services, um, you'd probably be better off, you know, just using an off-the-shelf platform like Heroku or Netlify or any of the other ones uh, that let you let you run apps really, really cheaply. Because that is a lot simpler, right? Because basically, all that stuff on your own. Yeah, exactly. That's one because what they do is they give you one way of the one way. Um, so, so you know, uh, you get very limited configurability with a system like Netlify, and that's a feature, right? Mm-hmm. So, what you should do is write your own Netlify, and Kubernetes is a great tool for doing that, right? So, if you have a unique use case, uh, then for your developers at your company, then if I were a developer at your company, I would be pissed at you if you made me have to deal with system with, with a fractal of configuration options that were not relevant to our unique system. And I can what, say- what, like, what, what, What's a fractal what saying, of configuration options? What I mean is this. So again, make, don't make me deal with networking. Let's, uh, but I would, I would say I want, okay, you're, what you're telling me is that um, because of the way our business is and you know, the, the constraints of our scale or the requirements of our scale, we using something like Netlify is not good, whether it's because we've got a whole bunch of services and we can't keep track of those apps. Um, that's fine. So give me something that gives me an equivalent experience, right? It implements our unique use case, but it gives me a similar experience so that my development workflow is I'm pushing, I'm writing code, I'm pushing it, I'm writing code, I'm pushing it. Um, And I can think, I guess it's, I guess the thing is I want my thinking to be constrained to the context of the application in which I'm working. Mm. I don't. Instead of how it's deployed and how it runs and all of that. Mm Right, right, right. Exactly. Does this mean right. that you you yeah, hate DevOps, say, I, Charles? You don't like DevOps? Exactly. Is that what I'm hearing? You want to be Dude, Dev Dev? I love DevOps. <laughs> I love DevOps. This, this is this is you know a related thing we should talk about sometime. Is like I'm 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 curious about what the state of DevOps is nowadays. In in the sense yeah. of like like obviously there were some uh, some changes to the world, but like right. and this is a bad way of analyzing it. But you know like I go to a lot of DevOps days. And I don't think I've really ever talked to a developer there. Like, there's a bunch of ops people talking about ops stuff. But I mean, I love so I love DevOps. I love GitHub Actions. I love Jenkins and Travis and Circle and all these things. And I am willing to put in a huge number of mental cycles on operations so that I don't have to deal with operations. Ah, yes, that's right. You see what I'm saying? So, like, we spent a lot of time writing GitHub actions, <clears throat> okay? That's as bad as operational as you get, right? It has nothing to do with the application. 
Uh, it's just, hey, when we check in source code, we want to run these checks on this. We want to do this linting. Um, if it's an NPM package, we want to package it up and we want to push it up to NPMs so that it can be published. Automate all those damn things and spend a lot of mental cycles on it so that you have to spend zero mental cycles thinking on it. Right, right. So it just so gets, like gets now, automated. Right. So like now when I'm writing a library in JavaScript, we just write the library and it goes and it sends itself up to the cloud and distributes itself and builds itself and does all that fun stuff and tests itself. And, and we never have to do it again. So I love DevOps. I just don't love it. What would, how, how about, what, I don't what, like it encroaching. I don't like, it's not done well if it's encroaching on my yeah. development. Yeah. It, it, and, and that, that's why I bring it up is like, like, uh, um, I think there is one theory of DevOps, which is mm -hmm. like, you should be concerned with how your application is configured and run and managed in production, right? And mm -hmm. because you will be in charge of that. It's, this is the old developers carry pagers thing, right? Right. And, and so, so therefore, if you are going to be troubleshooting it in production, you should, mm -hmm. you know, know about networking. Right. <laughs> You should. And Kubernetes has some actually amazeballs stuff in, to that end, which I, some of the shit that you can do, I actually do want to give mention on this podcast because it blew me away and you should definitely understand it. Anyone who's listening should understand that you do some pretty amazing stuff. Like, like, like what, what are some of these amazing so things? So you can debug production on your laptop. Uh, and we actually use this really uh, to to good extent, we were having one of our services was failing for some reason, and we couldn't figure out what was going on in the logs. And so we were actually able to route using a blog post we found about doing this on uh, a Kubernetes cluster. We were actually able to route uh, a little production traffic to one of our laptops. Ah, oh, right. You so could basically could, add it to the uh, add it to the cluster. Yeah. So and it would transparently. So we, you know, it was a, a Rails, a little Rails app, and you know, we were actually able to fire up the a Rails app running in development mode and actually route a certain amount of the traffic to it, and it worked really well. Um, because for two reasons, one, uh, because of the way that Kubernetes and this whole system we were working on, uh. What's the word? Encouraged us to make services that were stateless. Uh, you know, mm. we were able to use the the database and the persistent services that were all part of the cluster. Like the the laptop was actually part of the cluster in its truest way. Right, right, uh, right. It was just the Rails app, and we were able to really quickly diagnose what exactly was going on. Uh, and then, you know, we actually until we could get the fix through, we actually just kept we fixed it on uh, the laptop and. The, tra the traffic was going to the laptop. Then we pushed the fix out. It was to everybody. Kubernetes restarted all the services, and then we, you know, we we pulled the laptop out. Uh, and that was actually that was cool. Um, I would that you know, there's there's definitely moments you have where like, whoa, okay, like that expanded the horizon of what I think is possible and what I would come yeah. to from a system. But that said. And I'm not just, I'm not, this is not like a, a, a um, it's not a knock on Kubernetes at all. It's kind of like when you're thinking about authentication, right? Like every system needs to have an authentication system. Maybe you can delegate to some service. Maybe you're going to roll your own. Maybe you're going to do whatever. You put on your thinking cap about that. And so that when you're in other contexts of the application, you don't need to think about your right. handshake and authentication process. Maybe you need to think about the role, like that this code is executing as some person, um, but the actual authentication process, you don't need to think about. And so it's a major drag if you have to think, you should only have to think about the pieces of your deployment that are relevant to the context. And most of the time, they're not relevant. Yeah. yeah. So, so then going back to the original premise, if mm -hmm. if you're if you're a developer and you're going to be right. like running your stuff on Kubernetes, just bare right. Kubernetes or whatever, mm -hmm. the the you're going to have to think about what is I don't even know the words people use for this anymore, but what is the like the topology of the application, right? Yes. So 
what are all the little components which mm-hmm. which of them needs to talk to each other and how do we have how do we manage outside traffic coming in and then who can mm-hmm. the outside traffic talk to and who can it not talk to and exactly. and, and then also you also have to form opinions of in production what are like the performance characteristics that i want like i always want mm-hmm. 10 of these running because reasons exactly right or like right. i i only want two of these running because reasons or like right or whatever right like like right. whatever you you have to really put some thinking into what does this look how i mean you have to do that that uh that production architecture that like an operations right. exactly. person your would, runtime architecture architecture Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you absolutely. Have to you absolutely have to think about that. And and um, and on, on the one I hand, actually, on, I think on, that's a good thing. Yeah, on the one hand, this is like annoying work that you kind of didn't have to do so much. But then <laughs> on on the other hand, going back to the standardization thing, like at least there is one way of doing all of that, right? Like it's it's not like it's like in theory. I don't know. Tell no, me. I, it's a good thing. Tell, tell me, tell me if you think this would be wrong, but like, I mean, so you, since you do a lot of, uh, you know, your consulting shop and, uh, you'd have many different clients, let's say most of your clients ran on Kubernetes, right? I would assume that the, this knowledge that you had of setting up the system architecture would be portable across all of those clients, right? Yes. And, and yes. this, no, no, I- that this, part is absolutely valuable. This would be different than if like, oh, well, these people run on Linux and these people run on Windows and those people over there run on EC2. And like, you would have to like know, you would either have to get someone else or you would have to do all that system architecting and setting up right. different each time, right? Versus at yeah. least the, this, you might have now. You know so, what it is? It really is. It's like a cloud operating system, a declarative <laughs> cloud operating system, right? It's it yeah, kind of defined yeah. its own new primitives. I think that's a good way to uh, the good good way to think about it. Yeah, um, yeah resources. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm not trying to be shitty and coin a new term, but uh, no, just, no, no, just no. kind of throwaway analogy. And I think that that is that actually is is good. Yeah, well, that's right? what people it's, say every now and then. Down, it's, it's like its essence, right? It's a bunch of primitives, right? Like, and it is like I think what they call those in Kubernetes land is a resource, like like a server, a load balancer, whatever this chunk of stuff you have is. And, and so in that way, it is like, here is, here is the way you define something that runs on infrastructure and here's how you configure it. And here's how you do the relationships. It's almost like this, this is a terrible analogy, but it's almost like a a UML kind of thing where it's like, this is one way to represent the layout of any type of program uh, that, that, that you might have. Any type. Exactly. It's the, it's the same to carry further with the operating system. You know, we expect it to have a file system. We expect it to be able to handle input. We expect it to be able to to be able to uh, manage memory. Um, we expect it to be able to keep different programs from being able to thrash each other's memory and provide segmentation that way. Um, it's it, it that's exactly right. So if you are writing an application that's got a bunch of moving parts, it's a shared set of primitives. Right. 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 And, and, and so, okay. So, so then one thing you keep saying is that like, you don't want to deal with networking, which, which is like the jokey way of saying like, I I would like to work on my application code and like not do this other stuff, right? Like, like the system stuff. And so like, what, like what, so what would you do to alleviate that? Like if you were going to wrap the, the, the cube cuddle command line, like, what would that be? Like, like, what do you want this layer to be up here? So, like, one thing. You, <clears throat> so, trying to think of, of concrete example. Okay. So, there were kind of macro processes that we would we would do like we'd need to upgrade this version of this runtime right and then mm. gradually like roll it out there are, there are operations that are unique to your deployment um and those are you know the workflow that you use whatever it is it usually boils down to like 10 commands like these are the things that we do uh-huh right 
and that's all anyone cares about. And and th- these ten things are in when you're changing the application, or or is it what the yeah, application yeah, actually does? Yeah, we're upgrading, does? or we're deploying a new service, right, right, or okay. we're doing like whatever. These are the things that you do with your infrastructure. Yeah, and they're unique for each organization. Now they all decompose to the same set of primitives. But what I'm saying is, is you need to start with those primitives and see like what what are the ten things that you do that need to be composed into. Mm. Otherwise, it's like oh, when we upgrade this framework and we roll out a new service, here's a link to a wiki page of the six commands that you need to run. And <laughs> you know you're copying and pasting those things around in Slack if you don't even have a wiki page for it. And so it almost invariably becomes valuable once you yeah, yeah, codify yeah. your processes, right? You, 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 like, you, you like, you like to find a, uh, like, like a, a, uh, well, these sort of used to be called run books. That's kind of inaccurate, but you define, like you said, there's, there's a wiki page somewhere, right? And okay. it's like, all right, we are going to, uh, let's make up an example. Uh, Let's say that I run a, uh, a a national chain of sandwich stores, and mm-hmm. and like one of the things we have to do in our sandwich store is like make sure the mayonnaise doesn't dip below a certain temperature because if it right. does, all sorts of bad things happen. Yeah. And so like we 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 we've, we've consulted with the front side, and we realized that like we need to automate this uh, monitoring of the mayonnaise temperature. Mm-hmm. And then there's also like thirty other things that we have to take. We can automate. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. from cash registers to other things. And so basically like, you know, one day we get some new equipment for, for the, uh, not only can we monitor uh, the temperature of the mayonnaise, but we can monitor the humidity and the two inches, <laughs> the two inches above the mayonnaise. And for some reason, right. this is important. <laughs> or this mayonnaise is way too humid or, or even better, taste. even better. Like, you know, one of the things we, we may, we, so we have a system that uh, is running, you know, it's this bunch of small services mm-hmm. for, for whatever reason it's running on Kubernetes and we're, we're monitoring the mayonnaise. Now we had to deploy that like, you know, but then we're going to make some, how do you say it? A- aioli. We're going to make some aioli. Uh, really? And, and then we have a new thing that we're going to monitor, not only the temperature. So we got our standard temperature thing. No problem. And uh-huh. we've been, we've been really good. We didn't hard code the temperature we want it to. So we basically have a generic thing of monitoring the temperature of some, some thing that a probe is in. So we got mm-hmm. that. So we put that in the aioli. But what we realize is that if you let the aioli sit there, the garlic and the oil and the stuff will separate. And then that's no good. So you want to monitor when the viscosity gets to some point or these things separate so that you make sure just kind of when you go into a bathroom and someone's like written down that they visited it, you want to make sure that someone's going around and stirring this aioli so that it's always ready to go. So we've added a new feature. We can do the temperature and we can also monitor for garlic oil separation, right? And so now... (laughs) We go to the wiki page and we like, we got the code. Now we need to deploy it. Right. Like that's, right. that's the, uh, so then right. you got to define what all these different steps are that goes to deploying it down to the little, the little machine. Right. Right. And, and, you know, um, the, you know, the, the immediate Kubernetes answer, right. Would be you, don't you know it's not a script that you run you make some declaration of how you want that deployment to be yes Um, we want the state of the world to look like this to look like this and how do we converge on that state but the yeah and and so that was a really big analogy (laughs) i don't know if i followed it exactly oh i i just yes i just came up with some absurd thing of like we add new functionality to an already deployed thing Right, like right. whatever so, it is. So an example would be: it's like by default, I don't have to think about like, and uh, so I deploy this this temperature monitor or the humidity. Wait, I deploy the oil <laughs> mayonnaise separation. We, we could we could make so, it even simpler and say like, uh, and I don't have to think. I don't have to think like there are ten instances of this running. Right, I don't yeah, have to tell yeah, yeah. these that. Yeah, uh, you, we we can make a simpler one and say like we have a customer record and we want to add a nickname field to it. That's it. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I guess the right, exactly. And so like you want to you want to write macros for your Kubernetes documents. So you don't have to specify things completely. Um, and you have really, I mean, a lot of it's just providing really, really sane defaults. Mm, yes. If I want to push up this new code, I want to make that really easy and make it, you know, uh, I want to make it run in harmony with everything else that I have. But, but now, and, and and so so like, what would these macros be? Like like are 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 the macros that customized per environment thing of just like just the way you do things, and so you can't mm -hmm. really like generalize them. It's just sort of like, well, so this is the way we want to deploy things. I think what it is, is that these resources are really abstract, right? Um, and, you know, I'm sure Kubernetes experts are going to be rolling their eyes uh, because I don't know, ex like, exactly what I'm talking about here. But I remember, you know, when you're using raw kubectl, you've got to specify a lot of configuration information when you want to introduce a new resource to the system. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and that's great, but how do I, if if 99% of that stuff is the same for the whole system, how do I produce sensible defaults? Right, right. So so a load balancer might be a good example, right? Like you could have a lot of, of definition in a load balancer, mm -hmm. right? Or from a developer standpoint, you could just be like, I don't know, load balance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right like yeah we're just but, like this thing is load balanced i'm deploying it and it's you know and it's gonna there's gonna be this many things of it running and this is the restart strategy and this is the how it's checked for health and yeah. this is how uh you know it reacts to traffic so that if i've got lots of uh people coming in then maybe there's 20 instances of this thing running and i don't have to think about that or know about any of that mm. yes because that's just what hap like that's what happens when I add a you know this this you know a new one a resource of this type. Well, you, you, so maybe that goes goes back to another thing. I you know it's too bad you didn't like my uh, oil viscosity example. So, I did. Sorry, sorry, that was so confusing. Not like it, Kote. I did not like it. I just didn't follow it. <laughs> it sounded delicious. I was actually thinking your your scar. I was like, man, I'm hungry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's about three thirty. I could I could go for a nice, like I was just imagining like some some nice sandwich. aioli with maybe some alfalfa sprouts, uh, -huh. uh and you know just some asparagus and salt on there. Yes. And man, Ooh, asparagus and salt, hungry. interesting. Mm. Huh. Have you ever had an asparagus sandwich? It's really Pro good. Probably but not gotta, that I remember. You got to cut the bread really thinly. Huh. Yeah, so if you cut the bread really thinly, uh -huh. um, maybe you know take kind of half the size of your normal slice, and then you put some aioli onto the bread, and then you just roll up some steamed asparagus with some salt. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So, oh man, I could eat a thousand of those. So thin bread. Thin bread. Yeah, so it's huh. just covering the asparagus. Thin bread, mayonnaise or an aioli, salt. And asparagus. Whew. Well, you know, you know, we'll we'll get back to we'll get back to the tech, but just one more thing. So I got I got some lunch meat the other day, that mm -hmm. was like tongue lunch meat, but I swear it was basically like a pumpernickel uh, like loaf, with like four like tongue loins, so to speak, throughout it, and then they thinly sliced this loaf, and then it also had like a layer of fat around it. Right. And so they thinly sliced it, so you've got this thin layer of fat on the outside. And then like very thin pumpernickel bread with like tongue suspension. Like, can mm. you imagine? It was a very yeah. odd, like, very, my first thought was that like in the Netherlands, people eat this enough that the grocery store stocks it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like an exotic food that they only have during like right. Thor's birthday or something. But man, I got to try that. Anyhow, that sounds... uh, I'll send you a picture, but uh we gotta get back to the tech i do need to i need to wrap up here so um, so let, there's one con there's valentine's day and we've got to make crafts is today valentine's day no isn't, isn't it the 14th it's it's the 14th but tomorrow okay. is the day before valentine's day which is when they have the party oh yes of course so so i think the one of the major takeaways is that if you're just if you're a developer and you're going to be using kubernetes you need there's at least two things you need to come up with one is like what is your system architecture? 
right? Like, right. like of all these little things, what should be talking to each other and what should not be talking to each other? Uh, and then, and then the other one is sort of like, what are the performance characteristics that your software needs? Right. And I think one part of that is like, uh, so what kind of, um, high availability or replication or whatever you do, do you need? And how do you determine that? Right. And how do you do a health check to see if like it needs to be restarted and because it's in a bad mm -hmm. state, but then three, there's almost like this. So you have to think about like in production, how is it going to perform? Right. Like, like we expect this thing, there should only be 10 instances of them versus like, oh, we're going to need like 50. Right. So you have mm -hmm. to have some, you've got to have some notion of like doing the performance predicting and modeling around it. So you actually know right. how to specify we need five or we need 50 or like, here's how we, we're going to load balance things and all, all of that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you don't want to think about those things. No, no. Yeah. But and you we, have to. And we haven't even gotten to like the whole stateless stuff. Like how, how you, uh, basically what, how container oriented development goes. That's a whole mm. other thing on its own. Yeah. So learn containers. Best use case is when you're maintaining your own microservices uh -huh. and build yourself a framework such that you or distill the things that you do so that your development workflow, it's, you're, you're pushing code. Right, right, right. And then, and then you're not thinking about any of the other stuff. You, you want to, just as with your Git actions, you want to, you want to define your framework as few times as possible. That's right. right. Like, like that's you, right. You can make, you can, you, you could do it one time, two times, but like every single release cycle, probably about it, which is absurd. Right, but like, right. you don't want to be constantly using kubectl command too much or even much at all. You're probably doing it wrong. Right, right. Cause you'll just be consumed by that. All right. Right. That's right. You good. just want to be. What's ironic is that DevOps was formed. The movement was formed around the idea that you shouldn't be throwing code over the fence. And the best outcome you can have in DevOps is to throw code over the fence. Yeah. See, this is the whole DevOps topic, right? Is like, right? It's in, like in you a... know, if, if you can be confident when you, that when you throw that code over the fence, mm -hmm. there's some badass robot that's going to catch it and do something awesome with it. If you can have faith in that, then you're doing the DevOps right. So you, do, you don't you don't actually bring down the wall of confusion. You just put a robot on the other side. You put a really competent robot on the other side. <laughs> that's right. You spend time to build the robot. And that's the dev part. This is good. This is all right. Well, well you got to go do your crafts. Yep. We'll have to come back for part two sometime soon. Just all right. Charles's adventures in cloud native programming. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> JavaScript. <laughs> all right.